Thanks, Jason. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We're continuing our series through this magnificent letter of freedom, of emancipation, freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from the condemnation of the law. We're calling this series The Surprising Power of Grace, and this morning in Galatians 6, we're skipping ahead a bit, we'll get back to Galatians 4 in a couple weeks. In Galatians 6, we're going to learn about the power of practice. Paul always starts his letter, his letters, by talking about the wonders of God's grace. And then, about halfway through, but not halfway through in Galatians, five and a half chapters out of six into Galatians, he then talks about putting grace into practice so that grace has legs, grace has feet. So in Galatians 6, we're going to talk about how Paul is telling us how to put our faith, how to put grace into practice in a specific way. Practice is used a number of ways in the English language. If you're a doctor, uh, we talk about people practicing medicine. If you're a lawyer, we talk about people setting up a law practice. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that medicine and law have to go beyond the books. In med school, in law school, you learn a lot of things in the books. In med school, you learn about parts of the body, how the body functions. You learn about various illnesses. You, you study how to heal different injuries. But it's once you graduate and once you become a doctor who is working at medicine that you begin a medical practice. You're actually putting into practice what you learn in the books. The same way with a law practice. It's not enough just to know case law. It's not enough just to see all the decisions that have been rendered and the arguments that were made. The real purpose of law is to further justice. And you apply all that you've learned in real-life cases with real-life people in real-life situations. Just like the whole point of being a doctor is to promote health. you got to put it into practice. It's the same way with the Christian life. It's the same way with the gospel. It's the same way with grace. We go from understanding the basics of grace and the wonder of the gospel and the beauty of the work of Christ, and then we learn how to put it into practice. And one of the ways we put grace into practice is by living out what grace is. Grace, in a word, is generosity. Grace is God's generosity toward us. We who have, we who deserve nothing, who've, who've demerited everything, God gives us everything in Christ. Grace is generosity. So as we talk about putting feet to grace, we need to talk about putting generosity into practice. Now apparently, because of how Galatians 6 is written, we have to assume we know Paul didn't just willy-nilly decide to write on generosity. Apparently, the Galatians were not putting generosity into practice. So, Paul takes the time to highlight this area of what it means to follow Christ. Perhaps some of us are struggling in this area. 
Mark prayed about how things can be rough economically. Well, Paul calls us in this passage to not become weary in doing good. And in saying doing good, he's talking about putting feet to the gospel by practicing generosity. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's word. Follow along with me as I read Galatians 6, 1 to 10. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. In other words, don't just compare yourself to others, think you're doing well. Look at your life in light of what God's Word says. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us. He wants us to be grounded in grace. And He wants us to put grace into practice. And one of those ways is by practicing generosity. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for how it is so integrated in pointing us to Jesus, both as our hope and also the power and motivation for living a Christ-like life. So, Lord, we pray your Spirit would fall upon us, open our ears and our eyes and our hearts, and move our wills. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So, as I said earlier, Galatians is about freedom. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from the penalty of the law. But it's also about freedom for. Freedom for godly living. Freedom for living a life that builds the kingdom. Not just freedom from, but freedom for. So by the beauty and power of grace, we can practice generosity with freedom. We're going to look at several attitudes this morning of Christ-like generosity that comes from the text. First of all, we're to practice loving generosity, a generosity that is prompted and motivated and inspired by love. Look at verse 2. Paul talks in this passage about the need to bear one another's burdens 
and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, you've been with us through the series in Galatians. Remember, some false teachers came in, and they were obsessed with the law of Moses. Matter of fact, they said, uh, what we call legalism, that Jesus was Messiah, but in order to experience the benefits of the saving work of Messiah, you needed to become Jewish. You needed to follow the law of Moses. And so the Galatians were getting confused. And notice Paul subtly, or not so subtly, changes the verbiage from the law of Moses to the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burdens has to do with the law of Christ. Then in this passage, Paul talks about what it means to bear one another's burdens. Partly, it occurs in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. You see this principle of mutuality in this passage, this principle of mutual burden bearing. Let me explain. God gives the local church the burden of teaching instructing and discipling the children of God in their faith. That's the burden the church bears. But in the principle of mutuality in the law of Christ, Paul says the one who is taught is to share all good things, all material things, with the one who teaches. So the burden of teaching is given to the church. The burden of providing for the ministries of the church is given to the congregation as a whole, bearing one another's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. You see, the law of Moses, if you focus on it just as an end in itself, leads to legalism, which teaches that you earn your salvation by your performance or obedience to the law of Moses. But we've also talked about nomism. Nomism is the belief that, yes, you are a Christian, you're trusting Christ, Christ for eternal life, but if you want that sense of God's smile, if you want that sense of God's delight over you, if you want to be sure you're going to be blessed, well, that means you need to obey the law. In other words, Christ alone and His finished work doesn't purchase the smile of God for you. You have to maintain it. So legalism either leads to hopelessness, self-despair, or blind self-righteousness. You think you're getting everything right. Paul then, after setting the Galatians straight, talking about grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, Paul then, again, five and a half chapters in, talks about putting feet to the gospel. Matter of fact, in Galatians 5.13, he goes from gospel doctrine to gospel practice. And this is what he writes in Galatians 5.13. You are free. Stand firm in Christ then. Do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Then he says, but... Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't indulge the flesh just because grace is true. Notice, Paul doesn't say grace isn't true. He says grace is true. You do have the smile of God if you have put your trust in Christ alone 
for salvation. If you've trusted in Christ for the benefits of being right with God, being adopted by God, being loved unconditionally by God, that, that you put your trust in God to, to progressively transform you. Paul says that's all true. But be careful. Don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. You see, we, we still are sinners. We still can make bad choices. We still can refuse to live in love. So Paul says one of the ways we apply the law of Christ, which is basically applying the commands of God under the gospel of grace, one of the ways is to show love through mutual burden-bearing. And in the local congregation, mutual burden-bearing is the church ministering to God's people and God's people providing for the church. Look at verse 7. Paul talks about the principle of sowing and reaping. And this same passage is used in different ways in other letters of Paul. For example, in 1 Corinthians 9, 11, we see this burden-bearing, this principle of mutual love, where Paul says, if the church sows spiritual seed that the people of God feed on, then the local church should reap a material harvest, the law of love, the law of Christ, the law of mutual burden-bearing, not under performance, but the result of experiencing the love, grace, and forgiveness of God. So why weren't the Galatians practicing loving generosity? It's because they were legalistic. They were no mystic. They were more focused on their performance than they were focused on the love of God for them. And when you're focused on performance, you're going to lose generosity. If you're focused on the love of Christ, you're going to increase in generosity. Let me give you some examples from Scripture to show you what I mean. In Luke chapter 7, there's a prostitute. She comes into a dinner party where Jesus is sitting down with a guy named Simon who is a Pharisee. Not Simon Peter, Simon the Pharisee. This woman with the wages from her vocation, buys a very expensive alabaster jar of perfume. She walks in, she starts weeping, washes Jesus' feet with her tears and with her hair, and then breaks the very expensive jar of perfume and wipes Jesus' feet. The Pharisee is disgusted. He's disgusted with this woman. He's disgusted with her lifestyle. He's disgusted where the jar of perfume came from and what paid for it. And he says, if this man really was a prophet, he'd be disgusted too. Then Jesus does a parable. Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it. He says, let's say there were two people who went to the bank. One person needed a fair amount got into debt. The other person needed an incredible amount, got into incredible debt, couldn't ever dig themselves out of. The money lender then decided at a later time he was going to forgive both debts. Simon, which one do you think would love the money lender more? 
you can almost see people squirming. Simon begrudgingly says, well, I guess the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. And then he proceeds to compare and contrast the prostitute with Simon the Pharisee. Jesus says, you see this woman? When I came in, you did not even give me a basin of water to wash my feet, which any good host would have done. This woman, however, has stopped, not stopped washing my feet with her tears and her hair since she came in. Simon, he says, when I walked in, you did not even engage in the common Mideastern practice of giving me a kiss when I came through your door. Yet this woman has not stopped kissing me since the time she came in. I tell you, Simon, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Extravagance in generosity is directly proportional to your experience of God's love through your experience of forgiveness. And if you think you're a little sinner, then you only think you need a little Jesus and a little cross and a little forgiveness. And if you just think you need a little forgiveness, the result will be you'll only ever have a little love. But if you see yourself as a huge, enormous, broken sinner, then you need a big Jesus and a big cross and a big grace. And we see in the text that where we are forgiven much, we love much. And the woman loved Jesus extravagantly with abundant generosity. We see the same thing with, with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Do you know what a Jewish tax collector was in the first century? He was a thief. A Jewish tax collector was a Jew that was hired by the Romans to collect taxes for the Romans, but he had the authority of the Roman government behind it, and he could charge his own people whatever he wanted to. If the Roman wanted a tax of 10%, the Jewish tax collector had the authority of the Roman government to tax 50% and pocket everything. And if someone wouldn't pay, the Jewish tax collector could sick the Roman guard on his fellow Jew. Tax collectors were despised. Zacchaeus was the tax collector, and he was wealthy, we're told in Luke. And then Jesus comes up, and Zacchaeus is in the tree. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to spend lunch with you today. And as Zacchaeus experienced great forgiveness because he knew he was a great sinner, God changed his heart, and in that love, he expressed extravagant generosity. He said, right here and now, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I've defrauded anybody, huh, if. 
if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times what I defrauded them. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, salvation has come to this house today. Do you see that? Whoever's forgiven little, loves little. Whoever's forgiven much, loves much. You want to fall more in love with Jesus? Ask him to show you the enormity of your sin. There's so real little love for Jesus in our day because people don't really feel like they're sinners. Little sinners really need an insignificant Jesus. And you're never going to love an insignificant Jesus. You see, there is one example, at least, of someone who didn't show love. This man came to Jesus one day. He said, good teacher, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? Jesus said, you know the commandments. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Now remember, this is the same Jesus who said, if you've ever been angry, you've committed murder. If you've ever lusted, you've committed adultery. This man, maybe like some of us, had the audacity to say, all of these things I have kept from my youth. You can just picture Jesus. Huh. Okay, let's start with the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. Go and sell everything you have. And then come and follow me. The man went away sad. He couldn't do it. Why was there no love? Because he saw himself as a little sinner in need of a little Jesus. And a little love for a little Jesus is never going to lead to extravagant generosity. That's why he didn't give everything. Jesus wasn't the pearl of great price. So Paul is setting up in this text a correlation between love and generosity. Bearing one another's burdens in love, fulfilling the law of Christ in love, ultimately comes down not to money. Generosity ultimately is not a money issue. It's a sense of your forgiveness issue. And you'll never sense the enormity of your forgiveness until you understand the enormity of your sin. Look through the entire scriptures. Those who experienced the loving forgiveness and grace of God were always extravagantly generous. They didn't need to be told to. They just were. Practice loving generosity. Secondly, practice obedient generosity. Look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught share all good things. That, that word share is a command. It's the first word in the Greek sentence, and it's an imperative. In other words, <laughs> generosity, if you're experiencing great love and great forgiveness and great grace, you shouldn't need to be told. 
We shouldn't need to be told. I shouldn't need to be told. However, we're still sinners, so we need to be told. So Paul issues the command for those who are taught to share all good things, material blessings that God gives in His goodness. And we're given commands to help us understand our deeper need for Christ. But we're also given commands because it shows us what is beautiful and good and true. You see, when Paul gives commands after laying out the gospel of grace, we need to understand what he's doing. He, is, he has laid the foundation of our union with Christ in the first part of all of his letters. What's union with Christ? That means when you trust in Christ, let's say this is me, this is Christ. When I trust in Christ, when I transfer my trust from my own efforts and my own thoughts of being good, and I trust in Him alone who is good, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, baptizes me into Christ, and everything that is true of Christ is true of me. So Paul says, through faith in the gospel, not through works of the law, through faith in the gospel, I am right with God. I am beloved of God. And as we understand that more and more, we understand that our persons then, united to Christ, are always pleasing to God. You're thinking, no, this can't be true. Now listen to me. If you've been united to Christ, your persons are always pleasing to God. If they're not always pleasing to God because you're union with Christ, then when are you pleasing to God? You tell me one moment you're pleasing to God. If your union with Christ is not the only basis of your person being pleasing to God. Now here's the kicker. Because we know our persons united to Christ are pleasing to God, we can bear to be exposed by God's Word of our attitudes, actions, behaviors, and words that objectively compared to the data of the Word of God reveal that those things are not pleasing to God. Did you hear that? Your person's being pleasing to God in union with Christ is like being shot with Novocaine. I had cancer in my chest one time. I had to get Novocaine. And he was able to cut. And I didn't cringe. Because there was Novocaine. The gospel of grace is the Spirit's Novocaine. Understanding we are pleasing to God in union with Christ means that I can be exposed. I can be cut on. I can have the cancer rooted out. I don't need to cringe. I don't need to run. I don't need to hide. So Paul is saying, now that you understand who you are in Christ, I'm going to give you a command. Share all good things with those who teach. And if that exposes you, it is just another opportunity to be driven to Christ because you're a big sinner. You're seeing afresh that you need a big Jesus and a big cross. And as you rest in Christ over the sin that's being exposed, that leads to a fresh experience of forgiveness, which leads to a great love, which Paul says, 
will lead to generous hearts. It might help if I talk about the three uses of the law here. See, Paul has been slamming the legalist for using the law unlawfully. In 1 Timothy 1.8, Paul says the law is good as long as the law is used lawfully. The false teachers, the legalists, the gnomists, have been using the law unlawfully. They've said, if you want salvation, obey the law. If you want to participate in the benefits of Christ, obey the law. If you want the assurance of God's smile, obey the law. Paul says that's not using the law lawfully. There are three uses of the law lawfully used. The first use is called the civil use. That's in Romans 13 where the universal law of God is sovereignly ordained by God sovereignly through governments He sets up to punish the wrongdoers and to protect those good citizens. Now, obviously, there are some exceptions, but, but God, not exceptions to God's sovereignty, but there's some exceptions to good governments. But generally, governments are set up to provide for a safe society. And God's universal law of Christ, the law of love, love for neighbor, is set into laws to make society orderly and not chaos. That's the first use of the law. The second use of the law is what Paul has been talking about in Galatians the entire time. And that is the law is a guardian, is a tutor, is a disciplinarian to expose us as sinners. Why? To imprison all of us into sin. Why? So we despair of self. Why? So that despairing of self, we would look to Christ. We would flee to Christ. That's the second use of the law. The use, the, Paul, the use of the law Paul's talking about is, is not to tell you how to climb a ladder into God's lap. The primary use of the law is to help us see we need a big Jesus. That's the second use of the law. It prepares our hearts for the desperation of needing Jesus as our Savior because there's no alternative. The law cannot justify now we come to the third use of the law. The third use of the law is the recognition that the law of God is summarized in two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's beautiful. That's not terrible. That's beautiful. So the law reveals what is beautiful, good, and true. It doesn't give you points with God but it reveals what's beautiful, good, and true. And so the third use of the law, guess what, folks, is the aim of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the aim of the goal of grace in your life. And the Christian life is the second use of the law leading to the third use of the law. By the way, I just described the waltz. For those of you who are new, the waltz is a Christian three-step that we use at Oak Mountain to grow in grace. Like a waltz, three steps. The three-step of the Christian life is repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. Second use of the law exposes sin, leads us to repentance. The second use of the law reveals our desperate need for Christ. 
Because there is no other hope, not even for the Christian. Christian, you can no more change yourself than a non-Christian could save themselves. So the second use of the law exposes you as desperately needy, you repent. Second use of the law exposes you as helpless, so you run to Christ. As you run to Christ, you experience fresh forgiveness, you experience fresh love, your heart is transformed, you become generous toward Christ, whoever's forgiven much loves much, and then the third use of the law reveals what generosity looks like, what love looks like, and generosity is just one element of love. That's why Paul gives the command in verse 6, share all good things with the one who teaches. We need to understand the second use of the law leading to the third use of the law. And then thirdly, we not only practice loving generosity, obedient generosity, lastly, we practice local generosity. See, generosity is an art and it's a science. The art of generosity has to do with the attitudes we're talking about. The motive is love. We obey from love. We obey the, by the power of grace changing us. We're inspired and motivated by that. But generosity is also a science. In other words, there's specific biblical data on how, when, and where that we are to practice generosity. Look at verse 6 again. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Men and women of God, it couldn't be any more clear. You're taught the word on Sunday mornings as you listen to messages. You're taught the word through the local church as you engage in adult discipleship classes. You're taught the word in the local church through life groups. You're taught the word as you worship through biblical texts in the local church. Paul couldn't be more clear. Generosity is to be practiced out of the law of Christ and the principle of mutuality as the church teaches and builds the kingdom, and we as the people of God provide the materials to build the kingdom to the church. You know, Malachi says the same thing. Malachi 3 adds more science to generosity, the data. Malachi 3 says, bring the whole tithe, the whole tenth, into the storehouse. The storehouse was the temple. The people were called to bring their gifts to the priests so that the priest could fulfill the burden of instruction and discipleship. It's never changed. One of the most American elements of generosity is this. We actually have come to think that we are free to give according to our own preferences. Like the tenth is under our authority. It's not, folks. And you know where I've seen this the most? The wealthier someone is, 
the more likely they are to think that they can divide up the tenth however they want to. That's not what Malachi says. Bring the whole tenth into the storehouse. That's not what Paul says. Let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches. He's talking about the local congregation. Verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially the household of faith. Paul is rarely talking about the universal household of faith, people. He's almost always talking about the local household of faith. We are to bring the full tenth into the storehouse and practice local generosity now. I've talked about loving generosity. I've talked about obedient generosity. I've talked about loving local generosity. What are you experiencing? Guilt? Shame? Fear? Second use of the law leading to the third use of the law. Second use of the law. Oh my goodness. If what Bob's saying is true, and trust me, I've done my work this week. Like, I don't normally, but I did this week. <laughs> what I'm saying is true. Then some of us, I don't give a tenth. And I certainly don't bring it to the church. Okay, what are you going to do with that? It should drive you to despair of your own ability to bring about your own righteous life. It should create a helplessness of self-reformation and self-transformation. Repent. Acknowledge. Let it drive you to Jesus who is there with open arms because your person, united to Christ, is always pleasing to God. So you can bear for the cancer to be addressed. You can be cut on. Now, using the beauty and goodness of the third use of the law, step out in new obedience and watch God show up. We're going to talk about it next week. Generosity is one of the few places where God outright says, you test me in this, and you see whether or not I'll show up. Now, I don't believe in the health, wealth, prosperity garbage that God has a big old, bigger shovel than you do. If you shovel it in, he'll shovel it back out to you. That's nonsense. Materially, it's nonsense. God does have a bigger shovel in mysterious ways. Ways that you can't even fathom. God promises his faithfulness. If we'll simply allow the second use of the law to expose us, to show us our need, and we run to Christ, and we experience fresh forgiveness, and whoever's forgiven much loves much, and one of the ways that love will be expressed is extravagant generosity without even being told to. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word that it's so complete. It's so tender, but it does have teeth. Grace is called to be put into practice. So God, thank you for, I mean, we couldn't make this stuff up, that, that there's an element to your word that drives us to self-despair, only that we would flee to Christ and experience supernatural change. God, it's not just with respect to generosity, but every arena of life, the second use of the law, leading to the third use of the law, and great big sinners exposed as needing a great big Savior that leads to great love. Oh, Jesus, open our eyes to who we are and who you are. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning, maybe the gospel has really gotten through. May they flee to the cross and find full, perfect forgiveness in our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. Hear the benediction. We need to be reminded of this, right? We live under the favor of God because of what Christ has done. That favor will change us, but it is favor nonetheless. Receive it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Abba Father, and the fellowship and transforming power of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.